walk with me We're gonna check out some really cool trees We're gonna hang around and talk about All those things in nature that we can't live without Let's go get nerdy, yeah, let's get nerdy about nature Nerdy, yeah, let's get nerdy about nature, baby Nerdy, yeah, let's get nerdy about nature Come on, let's get nerdy about nature Oh, what's up, chills? Welcome to the very first episode of the Nerdy About Nature pod chat series. Uh, my name is Ross. I'm going to be your host here. And for those of you who are unaware for whatever reason, Nerdy About Nature is a super fun, super engaging, informative video series on uh, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube here that aims to inform and educate you about the natural world around us. If you haven't checked it out, I highly recommend doing it. Um, you're going you're gonna to laugh a little. You're going to learn a lot. It's going to be a great time. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Trust me. So for this very first episode, I'm really stoked to bring on my friend, Wilt Weltenot, who also goes by her English name of Maya Antone. Um, Maya is an incredibly amazing, smart, so inspiring, a Squamish woman who's a Squamish language teacher um, and a good friend of mine. You know, I've known her for the past couple of years working on various snow projects together, and we've always had some really good conversations. Um, in fact, she's probably the main reason why I even decided to start a podcast. You know, her and I have always been trying to collaborate on a way to to do a nerdy about nature uh, episode thing combining kind of western science and indigenous wisdom and bringing her into it but the more we kind of talked about it all and planned it we found that you know a lot of these topics aren't just ones that can be easily dumbed down into just a minute so um, you know a podcast seemed like a great opportunity to just kind of talk about it and um, give kind of these conversations the more breadth and nuance that they truly deserve um so the following conversation is recorded on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Squamish, Musqueam, and tsleil nations. And this is actually the second time we've recorded this, this interview. We tried to do it back in January, and me, being a total novice at this whole audio game, still getting used to the idea of talking into a microphone and having it come back into my headphones and reverberating within my skull. It's an absolute trip. Um, I, I totally blew the audio, and uh, it was really soft, and there was a lot of bleed and carryover, and it just, it, you know, it wasn't a quality listening experience and I didn't feel comfortable putting it out there, so just decided to re-record it, and luckily Maya was um, was accommodating enough uh, to, to do it with me, so I'm really stoked. Um, we sat down on the banks of the Squamish River the other week and chatted over a beer about language, land, and our ever-changing relationship to it as we, as a society of both settlers and indigenous people, move forward together. So right now, there's probably a few of you who are questioning, like, what the heck? I mean, this podcast is called Nerdy About Nature, and for his very first episode, the dude's not even talking about trees or plants or anything directly related to nature, to which I would reply, hang on a sec. Us humans are still just a bunch of wild animals out here in the world just trying to figure it all out. We're still actively part of these ecosystems, not apart from them, you know? And conversations relating to language and relationship to the land, like the ones I'm about to share with you, are incredibly important when it comes to us moving forward as a society and doing things that are more in tune with the natural world in which we reside. So it might not make any sense based on the limited definition of quote-unquote nature, but it will come around full circle, eventually just give it time. This is all relative to nature so yeah we good moving forward now this is my very first podcast episode and i need to be totally upfront and honest with you guys 
I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. This whole audio thing to me is totally foreign. I'm so out of my element. Um, you know, I'm stumbling with answering and asking these questions, still managing or trying to figure out how to navigate playing the role of a host here. So there's all sorts of like awkwardness and ramblings and stumblings. And I apologize for that in advance and really appreciate you hanging in there and being patient with me as I learn because things will get better. This is just, you know, me stumbling into a new venture. So um, thank you for your patience on that. Um, Additionally, as my very first podcast, you know, looking back on it, there are so many different topics and things that I was hoping to chat with Maya about based on previous conversations that we just never got around to. And I'm really hoping that she's able to come back on the show at some point because there's so much more I want to talk to her about. So Maya, if you're listening right now, this is me asking you, could you could you please come back onto the Nerdy About Nature podcast show? Like, There's so much more that we could talk about, and I think it would be really beneficial for everybody to hear um, more of what you have to say if you're so inclined. Pretty, pretty please. I would, I would text you, but you probably wouldn't get back to me for a couple weeks. So yeah. We kept this conversation pretty lighthearted and fun, you know? It's just a couple friends bantering back and forth. Um, and Maya does an incredible job of taking the piss out of me, which you're all probably going to enjoy quite a bit. Um, but I do just want to issue a very brief trigger warning here that there there are some brief mentions of residential schools and intergenerational trauma. If that's something that might affect you, just be aware of that. So without wasting any more time, let's get into this first episode with Maya Antone. Here we go. Cheers. Cheers. Aw, thanks for having me again. Oh, so stoked to <laughs> finally talk to you again. Well, well to not, Maya Antone, mm-hmm. welcome to the Nerdy About Nature podcast. Thank you. First episode. So, so, so stoked to have you here. Shokman Wahak. Nachan. Nachan to know. Nachan Amen. Hot. Amen? Amen. Amen. So um, that's a little bit of the Squamish language. Yeah. I'm so novice don't know anything just standing white guy over here just (laughs) totally ruining it um but do you want to go ahead and give us a little bit of an introduction tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are what we're doing here Mm -hmm. Uh, Ojo meoch toche to a to t was tocha to amen. A on hot sun squall and shit with quick wise twite to to meoch, a to stock, a to suck suck, a kach to notch, yet some not ten to meoch. I'm going to leave it at that. And I'm <laughs> like thinking of my language <laughs> teachers <laughs> listening to that. I feel really awkward speaking schotmish into like a microphone. I don't know what it is. I just like feel so unnatural. Well, maybe is it because of all the noises, the wind noises, the probably yeah, yeah a lot of microphones a lot of the don't breathing. like being blown no, into. No, they're not. Microphones are not meant for indigenous languages. That is for sure. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm Maya Antone. Uh, well, not is my ancestral name. I come from our village of Brackendale, which is where I was born and raised here in Squamish. Um, I, yeah, my traditional name comes from our village of Hmultristan, which is in West Vancouver, the Capilano Reserve. Um, it's been in our family for around eight generations and I just received that name around, yeah, like six months ago. Oh, so, so fresh. Super fresh. I Whole received you. it. Yeah, it truly is. I, when I was on the blankets receiving my name, mm. I was, 
yeah, told, you know, this is my new identity and this is how I walk in life. And um, yeah, I have a huge responsibility, which I hold very carefully. And um, yeah, so I love it. Uh, well, well, tonight, I love using that when I can. It reminds me of my responsibility to my community, my responsibility to my family, to my land, and especially those who held the name before me. Because it's been in your in your family for how many generations? Yeah, eight? I think seven or eight, yeah. I was told. It's pretty beautiful. It is. It's yeah. awesome to have that connection. It is. It's really special. And um, yeah, it's a name that I hold really close to my heart. So tell me a little bit about your ancestry, like your family. Where, mm-hmm. where are you from? So I in was the world. in the world. I was born and raised here in Squamish. I come from the Squamish nation, as well as I have Ukrainian and Norwegian roots. Most of my Skhotmish family actually lives in Vancouver on the reserves um, over there, but my immediate family actually grew up in Squamish, uh, which I'm really grateful for. I'm definitely not a city person, and so the town itself has grown pretty big, but it's still a smaller town than the city of Vancouver. Smaller, but... Smaller, but it's big. It's I know, I just spent time run for in Bellacoola. Oh, yeah, how And gorgeous. it's like so small, and it made me miss living in a small town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How long have you been speaking Squamish for and what got you into that? Mm-hmm. So I'm a full-time Squamish language teacher. I've been speaking Squamish for around two, two and a half years now. I didn't grow up speaking the language. I grew up maybe listening to a couple words here or there in the town of Squamish. You know, we'd have it in the school system in some ways, but we never had lessons or like Squamish classes like they actually do in Vancouver. Really? Growing up? So that was integrated that long ago. Like, what, elementary school, middle school, high school? Like, I mean, I'd hear it, like, in an assembly. Right. Or, like, they would have... And, like, a land acknowledgement type thing. Totally, yeah, yeah. like a land welcome here. Um, I would hear a bit of Skotmish, but other than that, yeah, I didn't hear it much growing up. I have an uncle who's a language speaker, and I didn't grow up with him, so now I get to speak with him, or I text him in Skotmish oh, all the wow. time. Oh, I bet Siri um, loves that. Oh, it's... Yeah, I actually got a new phone recently, and I had to, like, re enter all of the Skotmish words and it's oh, yeah. it's annoying but uh actually I got to the point on my old phone though that she would like correct my English words into Skotmish yeah <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> which is funny but uh yeah so from there I um I studied at UBC I studied environment and sustainability and I kind of fell into that just because I loved the town of Squamish and the land and waters and when I finished my degree I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I kind of realized I wanted to protect my traditional territory even though I didn't really grow up knowing what that meant or what it meant to be Skotmish but I kind of had this yearning to to protect hmm. to protect the lands and a calling I guess if you will but um, I was lucky enough that there is there were applications for a beginner Skotmish language program, um, an eight-month full immersion, full intensive program. And I finished my degree and I applied for that and I got in and my whole life changed. And then now you're teaching others to speak Skotmish. Yeah, I think what's really beautiful about our program is from day one, since I started learning the language, they're also teaching us how to teach the language. Hmm. So because there's so few of us that speak, we were taught how to teach it right away because that's a responsibility that falls on all of us who who speak the language every day. And yeah, so from day one, I'd learn a lesson in Skotmish and the next day I would be teaching it to some of my classmates. So I didn't just learn the language, but I learned, yeah, how to teach it. And how many Skotmish language speakers are there? 
we say there's around 30 to 40 of us. It kind of changes or, you know, fluctuates depending on who you ask and, and what your definition of fluency is. Right. Because we've talked about that. Because <laughs> yeah. fluency is a gray area where it depends on the words you know and the, the I don't know, not the industry, but the life you lead, you know? Like yeah. if you're able to like live your life and get through a day speaking the language, you're fluent in it. Yeah. Even though you might not be able to like discuss politics or something in it. And there's definitely levels of fluency and the way that I kind of look at fluency now is like, are you able to think in the language? You know, do you dream in the language? Um, just understanding that. And in Skotmish, we have such a different perspective of the world and a different understanding of time and space. And so, you know, are you able to put sentences together, but are you also able to like understand, yeah, how we, we, I don't know, live our lives as Skotmish people in this Skotmish hmm. language? Where do you think that comes from? that like different understanding that you mm. have like thinking speaking living in Skolmish versus english i think it comes from the land we're so connected to these lands and waters and if you stop and listen to the land and you know take the land as a teacher like you learn so much and i think that's the way that we as Skolmish people are and that's so different than western society mm -hmm. and western ways of thinking or colonial ways of thinking so I think it all just like stems from the land and your relationship to it. Right. Yeah, because the way that you or the language that you speak almost in a way trains your brain like how to think about the world and how to perceive things, how to like look around. Like I'm looking around now. I see like I in my English like brain identify that as a tree, that's some willow. We're sitting on sand right now. There's water behind me, like mm. all these different objects, which I guess is similar, but I guess like the sentence structure and the way that you would would describe things as totally different like well and i think our perspectives are just so different like you see i don't know you see a fish and it might just be a fish to someone but to us it's food or it's an offering or it's a gift or you know it's kin mm -hmm. you see a tree and yeah we have like i don't know we have such a different way of of thinking about things and um yeah i don't, I don't know it's so hard to explain in english <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah. Do you yeah. ever have moments where you're just like in mid-conversation, you're just like, ah, wish I could speak Skolmish right now? I do. Actually, when I go out on the land and in a way that's like recreating, like skiing or snowboarding mm. or something, my first instinct in the last couple of months has been like to speak Skolmish. Like I just want to be out there and I want to be speaking Skolmish with people, but there aren't enough speakers to do that right now. Right. Because Skolmish is born from the land and when you're out on the land... It's like the most natural thing to be speaking. Yeah. When I'm on Squamish land, I want to be speaking the Squamish language. And I think we'll get there one day, but we're just not there yet. And yeah. Hopefully. I mean, I would, in my like picture world, my utopia that I could see building, mm -hmm. like I think like indigenous languages should be taught as first, maybe second languages everywhere where everybody lives. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, at least through a transition period, because it's like, you don't, you don't go to another country, not even like learn how to say the greetings in another language. Like, why mm. are we over here speaking this like Germanic rooted English variation? It's <laughs> just like so hideous, really. Like in these headphones, I'm listening to myself speak and I listen to you speak like a sentence and I don't even know what you're saying, but it's like, wow, that's so much more pleasant to listen oh. to. <laughs> and my Skomish is like, I have so much work to do, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I don't know. It's so pretty and I mean, it's also just so attached to this land, like, um, 
the languages and, you know, Lilwat and um, Mount Curry, it sounds so different than our language mm-hmm. because their landscape is different than our landscape and our languages are so attached to land and um, identity. So if you were to <clears throat> describe as best you can in English, oof, yeah, um, <laughs> how would you describe the Skomish language? How is it different from those languages and why, why mm. is it unique? to this landscape Uh, yeah i mean something that i've heard and so i kind of regurgitate but also understand is that our language yeah definitely mimics the wind Hmm. uh squamish is a very windy place and so um our land or our language yeah mimics the way that the the or our language mimics the way the land travels on our territory and i think it's really beautiful if you know hunkaminum which is um, Tsleil-Waututh and Musqueam language. It's it sounds very similar because we're in the same language mm-hmm. family, but I've been told it's like hunkaminum, but with like syrup in your mouth, and so syrup. it's like a bit like I don't know, loose and like a bit more flowy. And why would that be? You reckon? I don't know. Um, uh, islands like maybe more water influence. Well, you guys have yeah. plenty of water. We have lots of water. Here. Yeah, I don't know. If it's, it's not just, falling from the sky. It's everywhere around it's, you. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. We're it's like a really pretty language and we have some pretty hard sounds. Like if you've seen our um, language written down mm-hmm. and you see an underline under like a K or an X, that just means it comes from like deeper in your throat. And so we do have like these harsh, harsher sounds. Um, Can you give it, us some examples? Uh, like, uh, and so means to like go backwards. and so it comes from like, it's hard. You have to like really train your throat. Like, I actually had to go to speech therapy when I was a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, actually, all my siblings did. And I'm, I kind of questioned, like, oh, if I didn't have to go to speech therapy, I wonder if I'd speak Skotmish better. Oh, but like you English, had to go to speech therapy to learn how to speak English better. Yeah. Wow. And so I'm like, maybe That's if I didn't do colonization. that. colonization. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah. But... So, I mean, now, because, I mean, I, I grew up speaking French. I was in French immersion, but mm. I don't speak French anymore. But, um, yeah, like, Skomish just uses such a different part of my throat and different sounds I've never made or even, like, really heard before. Mm-hmm. So, it's, like, building up muscle. My first year of learning my language, I just, like, would sit on my couch and just make noise. <laughs> just... <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I was that dedicated, though. I like, think, beatboxing or just, like... Yeah, like, like... just... <laughs> or, like... <laughs> Like there's a there's a K underline pop which is like a, mm. or like a, like they're similar but different. And and at the root of it, like those are very natural sounds that you hear walking around here. Like you making that noise there, I thought about on like a scree field or all the granny here and just hearing two boulders like mm-hmm. together. You know, like. And there's a linguistic term for that, but like our word for raven is oak. And it's like the sound they make. Oh, yeah. The little glottal stop. Like, yeah. They're like, yeah. Yes. There's a term for that. It's not purring, just, but they're like, <laughs> no, but I mean like that, that noise that they make, that oh, staccato okay. in like scientific terms. Okay. You're yeah. the scientist. I'm, I'm the linguist. I'm a fake scientist. <laughs> I'm trying. We all are. What are some examples of some words that like really come from the land? Um, Do you have a favorite word? Yeah. I talk about some of my favorite words being uh, dodge out Nate, which is a lot of wind sounds. Uh, Nate, oh god, now I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. I, I don't think I don't think like that's not that's one of those ones that doesn't translate well on a microphone. I mm-hmm. think because if you were to say it properly, it'd be like yeah, and that just doesn't sound right. Yeah, it means to visit someone. To visit someone. Yeah, and it sounds very much like the wind, like a lot of 
the XW, if you see it in our alphabet, it's like, it's like wind. XW, not mm-hmm. WX. Uh, no, they'll never be in. Well, like the word, the word choch, like choch. Oh yeah. Choch. That's choch. WX, right? That's and XW. XW, is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so that's that wind noise. And that's kind of like a, like a verb to have, is it? Choch is you. Right. So when I said at the beginning, I said choch men it's like, how are you? It's like, you good, like, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like a informal way of asking, like, how you're doing. So, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I don't do much direct translation because we try right. not to do that in our classroom. We don't have any English. And chuch mahat, that's actually no chuch min wahat. It's like a very shortened version of that. Gotcha. So why don't you do any direct translation stuff? Um. That's a good question. We don't do direct translation because it changes the way that you think and learn about a language while you're speaking or learning it. So we don't do any English in our classroom. We actually use American Sign Language to teach Schotmish. And that's a way, um, Where Are Your Keys is a nonprofit that uh, we work closely with. And they've kind of put all these terms onto like linguistic like language learning methodologies they didn't come up with these methodologies but they've kind of put names to some of them and have put them together for indigenous revitalization language programs yeah very cool um but yeah so we use american sign language um in our classroom so we teach kind of asl at the beginning and and teaching techniques and then after i think two weeks or three weeks we have a hard cutoff where there's no english allowed in our classroom whatsoever so you know sign language, so you can sign to us. And as teachers, we tell you what you're trying to say. We'll say it in Schotmish and we'll have you repeat it back to us. And then we'll give you the answer in Schotmish. Mm. And that way it doesn't have any English because if you're in an immersion setting and you're in a Schotmish classroom and you hear one English word, your brain will automatically switch back to English. Right. And so by having this immersion setting, you're able to think in the language a lot quicker or, you know, a lot better and... The reality is when you, you know, if you want to become fluent in a language like Spanish, you go to, you know, Mexico a Spanish, or Spain or something. Yeah, yeah, you go yeah. to a Spanish speaking country and you immerse you're yourself. immersed. Yeah. But we don't have that in indigenous mm-hmm. languages because we're all revitalizing our languages right now. So you can't just go, you can't come to Squamish and be immersed in Squamish because most, there's like 0.2 of our population that speaks it. Yeah. So by having a pretty strict immersion based classroom, um, you're able to kind of have a, a glimpse into what that would look like. So what was it like when you first started learning how to speak? What was it like? Do you remember your first dream you had where you were able to like dream in Skolmish and like, yeah, I've only had a couple. Um, and I remember the first one I woke up and I was like, that wasn't English. And <laughs> I don't even know if it was Skolmish, but it wasn't English. And, but you were communicating in your dream. Mm-hmm. You were, yeah. yeah. And I was like, "What the fuck was that?" And I I went to my <laughs> language teachers afterwards because I was confused, and I was like, "I think I just had my first dream in Schotmish." And um, yeah, it was just like a really beautiful moment of understanding, like this is where I'm supposed to be in life, and mm. kind of one of those um, signs that I'm on the right path and I'm doing the right thing. And as a a language speaker now, I can I'm able to communicate with. You know, my ancestors who only spoke Schotmish, those who don't know English are able to come to me or other language speakers in our dreams or in other ways. And and for me, those are typically dreams. And so, 
yeah, I feel so grateful and lucky to be able to communicate in that way. And I don't get to have them very often. So when I do, they're really special. Yeah. That's got to be so incredibly powerful. I can't mm-hmm. imagine that. It is. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I get like all giddy. <laughs> yeah. And then so now as a, as a language teacher, you're spending like eight hours plus a day fully immersed yeah. in the language. I think the reality of, I mean, any sort of thing that you're studying or learning is it can't just stay in the classroom. Right. So especially for language learning, I do spend, you know, when I'm in the program, we spend eight hours a day in the language. Um but it can't just be those eight hours a day if you want to become fluent. You know, we teach how to cook and clean really early on in the language. So you're in the classroom or we have a language house, so we don't actually have like a regular classroom, but you learn how to cook and clean. And then you go home at the end of the day and you can use that language at home with your family or your roommates or your Mm -hmm. kids. And um, yeah, you you aren't going to become fluent by just spending eight hours a day in a language. Right. And again, going back to fluency, it's like one of those things where it's like, that's kind of like learning how to cook and clean and around the house terms is kind of like the base level line of communicating with others. Mm-hmm. But then there's like, you get into different realms, like going foraging, you're going to need to know the names of like different plants and, and things around or like going hunting, going skiing, like, mm-hmm. so there's like different elements where you have more of a focus. Yeah. And I'm a huge believer and supporter of land-based learning. Um, and so when we think of hunting or fishing or foraging and and all of those kind of outside activities, it's so important to be doing, actually doing those activities while you're outside. Right. So, you know, we're organizing fish camps this year and we're organizing for our students to all go medicine harvesting together. And, and that's where you learn the medicine harvesting language because if you learn that in the classroom, it's not really going to stick. No. You want to be doing the activity. And that's also why we use ASL because when you use your hands, your mind, there's, I don't know, there's actually like Western science behind it, but there's yeah. something about your mind remembering better when you're like using your hands. Yeah, I could see that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely something to that. I mean, it's like learning by doing instead of just like trying to recite and memorize a textbook. Like I think, God, through high school, I... <laughs> The middle school and high school, it took seven years of German and I remember Whoa. like nothing. Like I have <laughs> oh like God. a couple catchphrases that I'll like speak to somebody who knows how to speak German just to kind of like, like a party trick. Like, oh, look, I can like <laughs> tell you that I have a little white dog. It's like stupid. Mm. Um, but like, you know, I have, I have more vivid memories of like looking through those translation books and trying to memorize words than I actually do the words themselves because it wasn't used in context. It mm-hmm. wasn't like actually engaged with like speaking that language or like even really caring. I guess it was different. Like totally. It was a requirement for me where you're like actually driven to do this. Slight yeah. difference. And there's definitely a heaviness to learning your language. Like when I started learning Skomish, so much came up because um, as like like a trigger warning, but my great uh, trigger warning for residential schools, um, my great great grandpa was a language teacher or a language speaker. And because he wasn't allowed speaking in residential schools, he um, never taught it to anyone else in our family. Mm. So because of that, like there's so much trauma that comes with learning your indigenous language. And, um, we definitely feel that while you're learning and teaching it and, um, there's a heaviness to that, but we also, I've also been taught that our language was passed down to us with so much love and and caredness and kindness. Like the fact that we still have our language when it was illegal to speak, when they would beat our ancestors for speaking it, um, 
just like the fact that there's still language preserved is amazing. And the fact that so many young people are learning it and wanting to learn it is amazing. And and so, yes, there's so much love passed down with the language to to us that I kind of have to like hold on to that. But it's definitely a lot different than just like being forced to learn French and in, in all the BC schools, we had to do that. Mm-hmm. But there's like such a personal connection to it that um, it's hard to navigate at times. Yeah, I can mm-hmm. imagine. Mm-hmm. Of course, I have like, there's no way that I could like truly understand it. But like, yeah, thinking empathetically like that's got to be so incredibly difficult. Mm-hmm. There's a strength to it, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you can be pretty down and low when you when you think about it but yeah like i said like some of our our one language teacher and i'll never forget he like he told us like yeah our our ancestors and elders held our language with so much love and and passed that down they didn't just pass the language to us but they passed that love down to us too and so being able to sit with that and and bring that love forward when we're creating new language and passing it on to future generations is is really important totally Mm mm-hmm (laughs) yeah i mean it is it's a love language in its own way Mm -hmm. i mean if there's anything that like indigenous communities today can like i don't know symbolize it's that that resilience and like that love like carrying down through like literally the thickest of thick like Mm -hmm. the hardest times kind of imparted on these communities and these people and it's um I think it's personally like really inspiring to see people like you getting out there and doing that work because it's, I mean, it is, it's like, it sounds hokey, but like, and yeah, you can think a lot about the past and all the terrible things that have happened for sure. And like, I'm in no way dismissing them, but it's also really cool to see such vibrant, rich community rising from the ashes in a sense, you know, Mm -hmm. like you are the Phoenix, like coming from this, this terrible past. And it's like, Mm. I don't know. It gives me hope and optimism in a world where that's kind of tough to come by sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, it can be really tough. But yeah, I mean, I look like when I think of my heroes, it's people that I surround myself with every day. Right. Which are my language teachers and my language speakers. And yeah, it's amazing. How are are your um, how do your parents feel about this language journey of yours getting back to Squamish roots, roots and culture? Yeah, they're proud. I think there's a lot of drama that comes with yeah learning language like I said before and um but the both of them are I think really proud of what I'm doing and maybe don't fully and can't fully understand the extent of it until they like my dad's my Squamish side and so um maybe if he starts learning the language one day he'll understand the extent of like the work that I do but um for now it's they're just so proud and that's why I also received a Schotmish name from my auntie is because she saw the hard work I was putting in and wanted to recognize that and honor that. And um, so I'm, everything I do is for family, like as Schotmish people, our Sequatil, our family, our everything. And so that's all I've ever wanted to do in life is just make my family proud and, and show them that I'm also proud to be who I am and where I come from. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <clears throat> does Tessa, does your sister speak at all? No, she will one day for sure. One uh, day. <laughs> one day. I'm pretty determined that my kids' first language, like when I have kids one day, their first languages are going to be Skolmish. And so yeah. my family's going to have to learn one yeah. day. As they should. Another. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean... It's very arrogant and selfish of me to say something like this, but like I'll I'll say it like as someone as like a white person settler on these lands, like it's been a thing that like I've always wanted to learn the language. Um, 
but there's not a lot of resources out there mm. through like my kind of, again, Western mind thinking of mm. like, oh, I'll just Google something like it doesn't exist. Right. Or like what exists out there is like so minimal. Mm. Um, like I, I think it would be really amazing to eventually someday, not now, but get it to a point when when it's first language for anybody like living in these lands, you know? Yeah. And I think we will. We're when I think of my language journey, I think of if I was given this opportunity when I was younger, I don't know if I would have taken it. Yeah. And I feel like I have a language gift right now and I'm really proud of it, but I don't know if that would have been something I would have grasped onto when I was 18. Um, and so, you know, my time came and I was ready for it and I picked up the language and not everyone's ready. And so it will pass, you know, mm -hmm. that gift will pass on to someone else until those people are ready for their own gift. And I mean, I think too, for indigenous resilience and indigenous communities, we're revitalizing so many different pieces of who we are and language is one of them for sure. But that doesn't mean everyone has to be revitalizing the language right now. Totally. I think there's other cultural practices that other people are uplifting and upholding. And so for me, it's language, but that doesn't mean that for everyone. And I think too, one day, like, yeah, my sisters and brother and parents will like learn the language because I speak the language and I'm going to make sure that they do. But um, there's definitely moments where I'm like, I'm not going to force this onto you because I don't want you to end up, um, yeah, like regretting it or, yeah. or kind of, uh, what's the English word? Resenting. Resenting you. it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I'm, and that's why I feel like the future generations whether it be language or like other cultural practices, it has to kind of start like you have to get them, you have to get kids young. Like, so mm. it just, they don't know any different, you know, it's like teach them that. And that's just the way that life is. Mm. <clears throat> I grew up speaking this language and that's just what I always do. Mm. Cause as soon as you get into your teen years, it's, mm. I mean, you make good and a lot of bad choices in your teen years. <laughs> like, yeah. Speak for yourself for us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Wow. No, I, I agree. Throw in shade. I know. I'm sorry. No, it's fun. Uh, no, I definitely agree. And I think um, now I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I, I mean, like, yeah. because it, these practices, all of them, they either come from uh, an unconscious place that, like, your parents or the culture and society that you grew mm -hmm. up in, like, teaches you at a young age and it just becomes part of your natural existence mm -hmm. of who you are. Mm -hmm. Or it takes very deliberate, conscious, calculated efforts as, like, an adult mm -hmm. to, like, really do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think, too, I just remembered my thoughts, so I'm going to say, um, say it. I think language is so connected to culture, too. So, you know, when I'm teaching and speaking language, it, what, like, culture is such a big piece of it and perspective is such a big piece of it and so right now we're trying really hard to do more land-based activities because we don't want to just be doing language like we do a lot of okay pick up that pen put the pen down or like roll the pen did you just roll that pen no I picked it up and I put it down like mm -hmm. we do a lot of language like that but I think we're trying now to kind of shift into these land-based activities of gutting fish and fishing and doing using that fishing language while we're doing it and and also like not only are our cultural practices intertwined with the language but just like our way of thinking as Khmer people is so intertwined in the language and I was just thinking of an example of um our word stalmo it means like people mm. and our word tameo which means like land and they're both the root word um like stalmo Tameo. Um, there's like the same root word because they're so interconnected. 
Hmm. And our word, um, our word for family tree is chan chan, and our word for leg is chan chan because our family tree is really important to us as Chomish people, as well as um, our leg, like our family tree is what connects us to our villages, is what connects us to our land. And our legs are what physically connect us to the land as well. Right. And so by understanding these like little pieces of language, you understand our way of thinking and you understand our culture and you start understanding our teachings on like such a deeper level. So learning language isn't like the way that we teach and we hope we're teaching people is it's you're not just learning language and but you're learning culture too. And and that can be a lot to take on for people. Totally. <clears throat> and in and in such a changing time too. Mm. Um culture like western society culture as a whole has changed so much even in the past hundred years mm. um and there are many things that like weren't around in that initial culture so in a way you're like you're you're learning new and learning the like ethics and mentality of the old um but then creating new paths for that language mm-hmm. yeah does that make sense no i don't know if i'm <laughs> rambling i feel like i'm sorry so wait I, say it again Skiing is a prime example of that. Mm. Like skiing to the capacity that we're doing it now, like twin tips and bindings, like these things didn't exist a hundred years ago, mm. um, fifty years ago, and like so, like how how do words like that come about in Skomish? Uh so we don't have a word for skiing or binding yet. Um, the way that our community is kind of working on language right now is revitalizing the language that our ancestors spoke and teaching it to people. And we also have kind of a responsibility to be creating new language as we go, because there's a lot of English words or terms that we don't have Skotmish words for in sort of this more modernized version of life. Um, but the way that those words will be created one day um, and approved kind of by our community, because we can, like our program creates words and we use new words that we've created ourselves, but they aren't kind of official in, right. in the Squamish language. But the way that those words will be created one day is by taking kind of a root word and adding the suffixes and prefixes on that we use, our language has always been using. So um, an example that I use often, our language program, I think it was Swo'o Gabriel, Swo'o Billy, I think, who created the word. Um, but the word for like weekend you know, we mm-hmm. didn't have a weekend, you know, kind of before colonial times. And so um, the word that we use is spiumpsius, and it's like a nominalizing S on the word for break, like to have a break, and then our suffix for day. So pium is to break. So a nominalizing S makes it a break, like spium is mm-hmm. a break, and sius is our suffix for day. So it's like to break, I don't know. What's the word again? Spiumpsius. Spiumpsius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're creating new words as we go, which is really beautiful and really fun. And I really hope to be creating, yeah, kind of all those terms that I use for uh, skiing and snowboarding. And I do a lot of those activities. And as I'm doing them, I'm kind of thinking of what root words will I use and how would I kind of form this in a Skotmish way of kind of creating language. Um, but you know, it's a very kind of political act to be mm. creating language. Totally. I guess it all just like starts as slang in a way until it gets widely used enough that it becomes the real word. And that's also the issue is we have a lot of slang yeah. words. And we're, I think it was Vic Harry who said, you know, careful what you say now, because in 20 years it'll be law. 
because we just like joke around and we say stupid shit and then all of a sudden we're like being recorded and yeah. now we're like oh man like, oh, it's on record yeah. <laughs> i'm just making sounds or we just like hear other people in the community using it it's like oh geez <laughs> yeah what were you gonna say before do you remember nope okay yeah, that's it's gone now um it'll come back yeah, sure. it'll circle back it always does do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh that's what okay it came back <laughs> I knew it happened I knew let's it. hear it um well I was just kind of around the the kind of the terms of like rambling and um in Scotmish we don't really have words for um as I hear myself say a lot really or like um oh my gosh part of it is because we what I was taught is we would think before we spoke and Scotmish is mm. supposed to be spoken very slowly it's like kind of a joke among our neighboring communities how slow the Schomish would speak. The Schomish Stalmuch, the Spanish people, like especially in Seashelt, I think they speak a lot faster than us and they would joke around about how slow we speak. But part of it is because we think <laughs> before we speak and, you know, we take our time. And, and even as I'm learning and speaking the language, like the sounds are so hard to make that you physically can't speak fast sometimes. Mm. And so I'm I'm trying to embrace that even in my English world and my because I have like an English brain and a Scottish brain. Mm-hmm. So in my English brain and my English world, I'm trying to also embody that. And and then one of our teachings is you know you don't ramble on, like not that I'm looking at you when I say that, but you don't <laughs> ramble. Be- and if you hear yourself kind of rambling or repeating what you're saying, it's time to stop talking. And so um, I I do that with Scottish. I I don't repeat what I say and um, I don't hear myself rambling on even though I like speak the language every day and I'm considered fluent but in English you know sometimes it's like people just love hearing the sound of their voice and I um, I hear that a lot in English so not that I'm like putting this on, on you me. but it made me think of it and I was gonna give you time to think about what you were gonna say but while I was saying this but <laughs> wow <laughs> I feel like I'm just walking into all sorts of traps here <laughs> You are on Squamish territory with a Squamish woman. I don't even know what to say now. I probably sorry. shouldn't be saying this. <laughs> no, but it's just that's another example of as I'm like learning Squamish and learning the way that my ancestors, you know, presented themselves mm-hmm. and, and were and lived their every days so embedded in the language. Right. And so as I speak Squamish and learn Squamish, I'm trying to transform and translate that into my English world as well. Yeah. I mean, now i'm just like i'm sorry hyper self-conscious of like whether or not i'm rambling but i think um you don't ramble much we always have good convos we do but like rambling is also kind of like my style that i've not my style that just sounds arrogant (laughs) you said it not me i mean it's just (laughs) i often find that with myself in particular and sure this is me justifying it whatever Mm -hmm. um that i almost have not such a short attention span but like i i get really into details mm. and like that's why some of these like nerdy about nature videos like i will like if i script it out sometimes i'm going so into the details that there's no way that i can physically say everything mm. and that's where it's like if i get into this if i were to think about what i was going to say right before i said it or like structured out like you're talking about mm-hmm. i would end up nitpicking it so much that what i meant to say which would have been maybe one sentence is now four paragraphs and it's like okay like Maybe it is better for me to just like ramble off the top and, and get it out mm. so that it's done and out mm. there. <laughs> I mean, that, yeah, that totally makes sense. I think it's so easy to get caught up like in the details of life and, and everything. Yeah. I think that when I say we think before we speak, 
part of it too is like we speak from the heart. Like when mm-hmm. I I've gone more into public speaking in the last couple of years and it's a really intimidating thing for me. So I would literally write out word for word what I was going to say because yeah. I didn't want to venture off or get nervous or anything. And one of the teachings I received was, you know, you speak from the heart and that's what's meant to be said and that's what's yeah. meant to be out there. So, you know, it's more so when I'm repeating myself and I'm talking in circles is what I'm talking about with rambling. Yeah. I think it's totally okay to to say what's coming to your mind and, and speak from, yeah, your like heart. But when it comes to like, you're like going in circles and you're repeating what you're saying and you're rambling. See, I'm like repeating what I'm saying. So now I'm like going to stop talking now. But that's just a, a teaching that I've received and a teaching I kind of carry forward. And it's a beautiful one. There's, um, I think that's like a really noble pursuit. And like, I think more people in this day and age should do that. Mm. What's that? There's a Dr. Seuss quote that's coming to me. It's like, <laughs> I, it's cheesy, but Dr. Seuss is a genius. It's like, mm. say what you mean and mean what you say because the people that matter don't mind and the people that mind don't matter. Mm. Yeah. So it's like if you're just speaking your truth and being honest and real with what you say, the people who are going to be upset about that don't really matter. And the people Mm. who do matter are the ones who uh, like empower you to speak your truth. Totally. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful. And I need to carry that forward in life too. All right, we're just going to take a quick little break here for a space that would normally be reserved for some sort of paid advertisements. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how I feel about advertisements. I particularly don't really enjoy listening to them when I hear them, so it's like I know I don't really want to be doing that either. Um, So if I do end up doing advertisements, I want it to be something that I am 110% aligned with, something that is truly doing good in the world. Um, I'm not about to just sell out for anybody willing to throw money at me. And at this point, I don't really have anybody doing that, which is kind of why I, I rely so heavily on Patreon. Um, So I was going to take a moment here to just kind of boost up a couple brands that I really strongly believe in are doing amazing things for the future of the world. So today I wanted to mention Squalwin Botanicals, which is a plant-based skincare line inspired by and grounded in indigenous plant knowledge. Founded by, owned and operated by indigenous Squamish women here in Squamish who harvest and gather all the ingredients locally according to sustainable Squamish tradition rooted in reciprocity. I believe that indigenous-led innovative businesses operating in a truly sustainable, honorable harvest like this are a huge part of the future we should be striving for, and you can find out more at squalwen.com. That's S-K-W-A-L-W-E-N.com. And now back to our pod chat. Well, okay, (laughs) moving on. Let me me look at my notes here and see what else I was hoping to chat with you about. Mm. I know you had some notes as well. Yeah. Did you, would you like to go first or say anything? No, I don't want to talk about that. You don't? <laughs> well, no, I just wrote down thoughts on like, if you were going to ask me questions, I feel like I've probably already mentioned them. Um, part of maybe your initial ask was like about kind of outdoor recreation or was that our uh, panel tonight? That's what I was just going to get okay. into. Okay. Why don't we, why you move forward with that at all? Well, okay. To start. Okay. What is Indigenous Women Outdoors and why did oh, you start yeah. it? <laughs> yes. Um, Indigenous Women Outdoors is a nonprofit I founded in January, 2020. Um, it's a community of Indigenous um, women and non-binary folks for Indigenous women and non-binary folks. We offer outdoor recreation, um, like sports and activities for 
yeah, Indigenous women and non-binary community members. So the idea is we offer um, skiing, we're offering ski lessons, snowboard lessons, back a backcountry mentorship cohort, uh, snowshoeing in the winter, and then in the summer we'll be offering mountain biking lessons and and gear and uh, mentorship and hiking and hopefully rock climbing soon. And the idea is these sports are pretty hard to, um, what's the word, like unattainable without there's money. High barriers to entry <laughs> yeah, for a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, that's the term. High barriers to entry. Yeah. Um, not just for, you know, for so many different peoples. And um, so I started the nonprofit so we can apply for grants and, um, yeah, get more people out, you know, reoccupying our territories, but also have a space for Indigenous folks to explore mountains together, but explore identity together and what that means and um, and just get to spend time outside. I find that's where my healing comes from and that's where um, I'm happiest, especially as I'm teaching on Zoom every day right now. I started the nonprofit right as COVID was kind of hitting. And and so being able to get outside with other Indigenous folks is where I love to be and what makes my heart really happy. Um, so, yeah, we are trying to offer as many outdoor activities as we can. Um, there's a huge demand for so many of these sports. And we're trying our hardest to be able to yeah, accommodate everyone. But hard and we'll get there one day and the idea too is if someone's looking maybe to pursue a, a career in these we'd love to see more indigenous guides and mentorship opportunities for them so um, we're hoping to kind of you know connect people in that way but also offer those opportunities yeah that's amazing mm -hmm. <clears throat> um yeah I mean, I know all that because I've done work with you in the past <laughs> yeah. with that as recent as January here. Mm. Um, really awesome program. It's really inspiring to see, yeah, people getting out onto the land. And I think that, I mean, that's like a, a really cool element of it, like seeing, you know, being inspired and seeing um, you learn the language and seeing other people take on different roles within the culture. Ultimately, it comes down to like having reconnection to the land. Mm. Um, and it's a modern world, you know, there are like millions of ways you can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is just like kind of an extension of that and doing it in like a new progressive constructive way. Yeah. And community. I think, you know, when right. we get outside with other folks, we are part of a community together and being able to do with other indigenous folks is so fun and, and so healing and rewarding in so many ways. And in community, you take care of each other. And so if someone can't fully show up, in the way that they'd like to that day, like you, you pick up that slack for them or, you know, you hold a space for them that they need to release in whatever way they need to. And yeah, it's, it's also just really fun. And right. I've met like so many amazing people that I look up to through it. Well, and I think that community aspect is like probably the most important element of it. I feel kind of foolish mm. for not mentioning it. That's okay. But I mean, that, that is, I feel like probably the most important part of any of these outdoor sports or outdoor engagement of any kind, but it's mm. also the first to be lost and forgotten in a podcast setting. Um, <laughs> because I don't know, at least here in BC, I find that like the kind of like hoorah camaraderie, how gnarly did you get? Like, mm. like that kind of overpowers the actual community and like being mm. able to form friendships that like are lasting and where people mm. can hold space when you're going through like difficult times. Cause those difficult times are natural and normal for everybody. Totally. But um, there's so much machismo. I feel like in a lot of these action, action-y outdoor sports that um, it's seen as like weakness to express yourself in a way. Mm. And so it gets lost. Yeah. I think getting outside and being out on the lands and waters, you're the most vulnerable that you'll ever be. 
Right. And so to be in that space with people that you trust and that you can, you know, fully be yourself with and you can just show up and they'll take care of you is so important. And that's what I found through IWO, as we've called it now. Um, IWO. IWO, Indigenous Women Outdoors. And um, yeah, it's sweet. I love it. (laughs) Um, So like what, I guess I just have some questions here that I've like bullet pointed, but they're not, they're like loose questions. Like even my questions are rambled. Okay. I'm sorry. It's all good. (laughs) Um, So like, why is it important? Do you feel to be connected to the land that you live, work, play on? Like what, what does that give someone? Mm, I think when you're connected to the land and you're connected to, yeah, the land under your feet and the waters and the water that you drink and the food that you eat, you want to take care of it and you want to protect it and you love it more than anything. And so if more people were connected to the land the way that we as Chomish people are connected to Chomish land, I think, you know, everyone would be protecting it and we wouldn't have so many extractive projects going on Mm -hmm. because at the same time, the health of our land is so connected to the health of our community. And so when you're when you understand what's going on and you're yeah connected to like the seasons and you're connected to when time is changing and when animals are out, like I think everyone would be living such a more positive and mm-hmm. fulfilling life. And yeah, I mean the, like I said, the health of our lands connected to the health of who we are as Squamish people. But I think too, for anyone living on Squamish territory, if Squamish land is hurting, like we're all hurting. Yeah. And that's a, that's an interesting word to use too, the concept of health because health has so many different meanings there's like Mm. mental health physical health uh community health um so you know like you're talking about like health of health of the lands and i think about and just off the top of my head i'm thinking about certain biking trails here in squamish that are just like ridden to death and Mm. it's just like there's you know people are coming up and they're they're like party training and stuff which is like awesome community health up but then like the trails erode and then you get like all sorts of like siltation um like erosion coming down Mm. on the hillsides and it's this like like this balance of like, how do you, how do you manage community health with physical health? Sure. Like physical health is good, but then like, is that, um, same machismo and competitiveness, is that really good for everybody's mental health? How do you balance these, these spheres of health on this like 3d Z axis spectrum of Mm. (laughs) health and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think when your individual health and all of those aspects, like it's all so interconnected and Mm -hmm. when your individual health is, is really good your community health is really good and vice versa when your community health is doing really well like everyone's individual health is up too and i think part of that yeah falls on community taking care of each other would you say that in your time here in squamish um that that health has improved that like outlook in connection to the land or do you see it improving in any ways like like individually or as like the town as a community yeah like the town of squamish Mm -hmm improving like for example like the spit down there Mm. there's like a big part of the town that is like looking to remove the spit because it's going to restore wetland habitat for juvenile salmon Mm -hmm. which is going to improve salmon runs all up the squamish river to the mamquam the Ilaho, all these rivers theoretically like improving then the forest health of all these forests that we've like you know a majority of which have all been cut down and Mm. are lacking a lot of nitrogen so it's like it's all part of this like whole big thing Mm -hmm. but for the wind community it's a big deal to remove the spit. And mm. there's like a lot of a lot of trolls on Facebook these days mm-hmm. that I've seen who are just like up in arms about it. Even though there are other options and other things available, it's just like, it's change. And like, mm. 
people people inherently are like afraid of change especially when it is perceived as negative but like change is also like a constant so how do we um i guess like encourage change that might be seen as negative by one group for uh, the ultimate positive action for the the community overall and everybody's health Mm. i think the way to move forward with yeah all of those views and i mean what's going on with that project but there's also so many projects like that happening here is following tradition like squamish traditional ways of being and squamish knowledge and i think there's always going to be people that question what you're doing or why you're doing something and when i know i'm following my teachings of that come from these lands that we're physically on right now i know i'm doing the right thing so when i think of the people who are upset about the spit being removed you know is that what does that mean for them where does that come from does that is that from a squamish way of being Hmm. Is, you know, your wind sport more important than our like traditional foods that we've had here since time immemorial? So I think, yeah, your every decision is never going to make everyone happy. And um, I'm just the way that I kind of look at those projects and the way that I think we have to move forward is what does it mean in Swamish culture and community to to be making those decisions? And I mean, I wouldn't be imposing, you know, Musqueam traditional values on squamish territory like here we're going to follow squamish teachings and squamish ways of Mm. being and we should be looking to the squamish leaders and making those decisions which is ultimately rehabilitating our habitats yes 100 Mm -hmm. um if you had any bit of advice for the average western settler oh no i mean (laughs) like yeah like anything um because i feel for a lot of people out there especially in the kind of like new time that we're in where a lot of these like issues of reconciliation and land back and Mm. just like making amends with a really dark fucked up past Mm -hmm. um it weighs heavily on a lot of white people's minds Mm -hmm. because it's you know it's nothing that like my um ancestors did i didn't do anything it wasn't my dad you know my grandpa it's like this this thing but yet i benefit from the systems that are in place there's like a lot of like inherent guilt that like comes with being in a position of privilege um but not knowing what to do with that so i think like from a skolmish or indigenous perspective in general like what is something that like people can do um, who aren't from that same heritage, but still empower and enact and like amplify these voices or cultures or heritage? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's a big question that if you ask me tomorrow or a week from now, my answer could be different. But in this moment, um, the way that I think about that and yeah, like I, I guess it's just so important to sit with like why you feel guilty and, you know, what does that mean? You feel guilty because you still benefit from these positions and the system that we live in and not every white person feels like that and there's a lot of white people that don't feel like that so what is your responsibility to to those white people who don't feel that way because right now i'm like yeah i'd I'd love to see a world where everyone's speaking skotmish but we're just taking it step by step to getting our own people fluent and then we'll be teaching Mm -hmm. others so while we're doing this work and we share as much as we can and like so many of us are so exhausted because we're pulled in so many directions. What can you be doing with the non-Indigenous people and, and bringing them to where you are right now? Not to a position where you feel so guilty that you feel immobilized and you can't do mm. anything, but how can you empower yourself to, um, yeah, to be working with like all settlers to f- want to move forward together. But also I think too, we were talking earlier about gifts and like for me, my gift is language right now. And so 
think if more people understood what their gift is in the world, you know, mm. and, and follow that, how can you like make our world and our communities a better place and make everyone feel safe? So your gift is giving language? I think my gift right now is, yeah, revitalizing our language and teaching language and speaking language and yeah. so many other people's. Like it could also be, yeah, just like being a community leader or sharing knowledge, being a teacher or, you know, using your hands or, you know, ceremony is so important in our culture. Mm -hmm. So being a part of ceremony or, you know, having spiritual practices and Skomish like culture is really important. So just finding out what your gift is and gifts change and kind of come and go. But I think if everyone followed their gift in this world, it'd be a better place. Yeah, I agree. Those are beautiful <laughs> words. Um, and I think like when I speak like advice to like a Western settler, it's not, not expecting like indigenous people to like hold hands and like baby people through this. Cause that's not right. Mm -hmm. But it's just like what sort of practices, I guess, like, I mean, to me, like I think about it, like I think about just like being open to humility and like recognizing that like, recognizing your privilege is like the first step that like people mm -hmm. can take in mm -hmm. these situations and then like using whatever privilege they then have to like amplify voices that may have been historically um suppressed mm. through whatever means mm -hmm. um amplifying those voices allowing them to be heard and then having the space to like let people speak their truth mm -hmm. from either sides of it like there are a lot of white people who don't think like this or feel this way mm -hmm. and as like wrong as i could say that is it's like to each their own like i can't tell them that they're wrong all i can do is like hold space to listen to them and hope that they maybe grow and evolve to a better state mm -hmm. after that you know mm -hmm. i mean i think modeling behavior is so important too and as right. a teacher i think about that all the time and i think of who i look up to and and the way you know they don't just talk the talk but they're walking the walk and maybe they're a quiet leader but they're um yeah they're following their protocols and their teachings and um, they're just, yeah, living the way that they are talking about living and not just, you know, getting on a stage or getting on Instagram and talking about something, but they're actually f physically living that way and that perspective of life. And I think that's important too. So, you know, even if people aren't listening to you, but just you want to, you know, show people that you can live more sustainably or, you know, do this or that, like just by modeling that behavior. I think so mm -hmm. many people learn from that too. Standing in, in your integrity there. Yeah. I think too, especially when it, like coming back to outdoor recreation and something that I've learned as I've kind of grown IWO, but you know, the way that Western science and Western knowledge is still so upheld over any other types of knowledge in this world, I think as non-Indigenous people by creating space in for Indigenous knowledge systems to be upheld in the same way and the way that other Indigenous authors talk about you know like weaving traditional knowledge and western science mm -hmm. together but um like doing that and holding that space as non-indigenous people there's a lot more people that listen to to you guys than us and so i i'm thinking about it as an example as like avalanche courses mm. we for iwo we do a backcountry mentorship program so we bring everyone through an avalanche safety training course which is ast I think that's what it stands for. And we bring everyone through that because it's important knowledge to have when you're in the backcountry and it's um, safety really, but there's not enough space in those courses for indigenous knowledge to be shared. Right. And there's so much knowledge about snow and land from indigenous peoples on this territory. So I think too of how, you know, there's a responsibility for non-indigenous people to make space and uphold other types of knowledge systems. Totally. 
I agree 100% with everything you're saying. <laughs> I think um, a lot of that comes down to like time and this kind of like time and, and um, focus, like attention. I don't think a lot of like Western culture likes to give the attentive, empathetic, like into it and like intuitive, like knowing or assessing of a situation that we do. So we rely on like science numbers. Look at the snowpack. How deep is it? What's this layer like? Okay, you have all your data. And then that gives you like a definitive yes or no result. Often there's a lot of gray area there. That's just simplifying it. But like basically white people don't like wiggly things. And what mm -hmm. you're talking about is like having the, you know, like looking at the snowpack, looking at the wind, feeling the snow, like having a more connected, present understanding of the situation mm -hmm. where it's like, I don't know, white people <laughs> feel mm. anxious when things aren't like in a box, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that basically summarizes like all of like European Western culture and history right there. It's like mm -hmm. putting things into boxes, labeling things, mm -hmm. even though things may be entirely different, but allowing little wiggle room for anything beyond the black and white to come through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess I'm just at a point where it's like, don't ask me what you can do and then say no when I give you something to do. <laughs> I don't know. I, I totally hear you. I think, too, like, especially when you're outside and in these, you know, scary situations. I've had a friend pass away in an avalanche, you know, a month ago, and it's really terrifying and really scary. And um, but I think if there's that attentiveness from the start mm -hmm. and like we're getting so many people into the backcountry right now, why aren't we doing this from the start then? Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, teaching that aspect of like patience and listening is yeah and really important thing i mean everyone gets into the backcountry for different reasons you know by you know, but everyone has to take this ast course mm -hmm. but when i get in the backcountry it's not about getting to the top of a mountain and skiing down the super steep slope or you know having an insane day it's about just like getting out with friends and family and speaking skomish outside and just getting outside and slowing down mm. but we're all taught in these courses like yeah all these layers and numbers and and stuff which is important but there's also so much like within indigenous languages and that's just as important yeah and we'll get there because sandy ward from I iwo teaches ast courses now i know she's crushing it mm -hmm. she's a i have white to give her a right shout now. out she is sandy is a boss she's my big sister and i love yeah. her <laughs> <laughs> that's funny mm -hmm. um how can people support IWO? Where can they go to find out more? Uh, we have a website, indigenouswomenoutdoors.ca. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's our website. Um, I mean, monetary is always, always super helpful. Um, there's a place to donate money. We do take gear donations, but we're we're having a hard time with space mm. as, you know, land is so expensive in Squamish, Whistler, Pemberton. And so we do take your donations. Um, please be patient with us. I'm really, really terrible at emails or messages, um, but I'll get to them. Um, yeah, we're on like Instagram and Facebook and we try to to kind of show what we're doing on there. But at the same time, our main focus is just getting people out on the land. So yeah. when I don't have time to do other things, that's what I make sure to do. Um, but yeah, I, I think our best bet would be indigenouswomenoutdoors.ca and we're as yeah as we grow hopefully our website will grow and, and everything else and how about the Skomish language program is there a way that people can like help support that yeah so and that's what i love to offer when people ask you know how they can support the local nation and um 
ways, yeah, ways to do it. And I think language revitalization is kind of the key component of a lot of things, a bit biased as a language teacher, but you can support our nonprofit, which, um, yeah, funds myself and a couple other teachers, um, at the Snatchum Foundation dot com so we've we're the snatchum foundation now which is our mm. new nonprofit name um and how and would you spell that good question so the t-h-e yeah. snatchum s-n-i-c-h-i-m foundation dot com just like up the snatchum foundation okay and uh we have a new website and you're able to kind of do monthly donations or one-time donation and that supports me as a language teacher it supports our language revitalization and a really grassroots movement of of all of it awesome mm -hmm. well anything else you would like to add or say uh thank you so much for having me it's been really fun and i love sitting by the river and getting to chat it is a beautiful day huh mm -hmm. kind of miss the sunset but That's the okay. river is beautiful i can hear it babbling just beyond the, the reaches of these headphones <laughs> um yeah. hoi choka for hoi your choka. time chen kwenman told me Well, that just about wraps up the very first episode. Hope you enjoyed that fun little convo, found it entertaining and somewhat enlightening. Hopefully you got something out of it. I'm going to put links to Indigenous Women Outdoors and the Snatchum Foundation um, in the show notes here so that you can check those out and support those two awesome programs. Um, thanks again for sitting through all my awkward stumblings and likes and ums. It's definitely something that I'm going to be working on and getting better at, so stay tuned. Um, if you enjoyed the show, I would be super stoked if you could give me a like and share it around from your favorite podcasting platform and if you want to help support its production as well as the production of all those fun little videos you see on social media you can check out nerdyaboutnature.com for merch and stickers or become a patron at my patreon page which all helps going towards um, you know giving me the stability to do more of this stuff and put more energy and effort into it so thanks again for joining me here on my maiden voyage into this wild world of podcasting hope you enjoyed it and i hope to catch you outside sometime cheers <laughs>